Hello everyone, and welcome to episode number 7 of a series of discussions on the 18th chapter of the Book of the Revelation and Babylon the Great. Having already engaged in commentary involving a verse-by-verse -verse look at this 18th chapter, this and the following episodes are aimed primarily at establishing a positive ID in terms of who Babylon the Great is, in all probability. That is, our primary goal is to justify and or to support our thesis such that the only foot that can ever fit the shoe of Babylon the Great is that of the United States of America. This treatise is written by Mr. Alvin Mitchell, but, I, Carol, will be your host. As we begin, join me, if you would please, in a word of prayer to the effect that God will bless this study. Gateway to Hell. The White Man's Heaven. The White Man's World. In commencing this study, one thinks it fitting to acknowledge that he is neither a student of history, nor a politician, nor is he even a political junkie. He is a student of neither economics, nor an expert in agriculture, and he makes no profession to be a pundit of military affairs. However, quite in keeping with his warning to Moses and his people in Exodus chapter 18 verse 22 and in Isaiah chapter 48 verses 1 to 8, it is one's firm conviction that Almighty God has led him to the awareness that, under no circumstances will one ever, cut straight his word of truth, 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 15, where he will not at the very least get his feet wet in such topics as these, that is, history, the sciences and current events, etc. Thus, we may safely affirm that, like footprints upon the sands of our times, in affirmation of the prophetic word of the living God, the lessons of these subjects all coalesce so as to leave no doubt as but that the United States of America is at long last on the very cusp of the catastrophic collapse planned and laid out for it according to the Word of God. Indeed, contrary to evangelical assumptions and efforts to keep America out of Bible prophecy, she is undeniably front and center in God's fast approaching eschatological drama. She now regularly boasts and works feverishly to cement her role as the world's premier global leader. The day will come, however, when she will indeed lead the world one last time, in its God-ordained death spiral well in advance of the parousia of Jesus Christ. She is without question, God's nemesis known as Babylon the Great. Precisely how or where the Trump administration fit into God's eschatological plans for these awesome end times is not, was not at all clear. What is clear to all astute students of scripture and of Bible prophecy is that this fool, his family and his GOP-based and led treacherous and traitorous administration cannot but have played a vital role that set the stage for bringing this, the greatest of all nations ever the jewel of the white man's civilization to its knees in a biblically sanctioned calamitous climax, well ahead of the prophesied return of Jesus, during his early days he succeeded marvelously, perhaps, in stepping on all the right toes, and, ruffling all the requisite feathers, creating a nerve-wracking moment for all concerned. Add to this the alleged meetings between Jeff Sessions and retired General Michael Flynn, aimed at signing the country over to the Russians, in the event of a Democratic presidential win, over GOP contender D.J. Trump. His apparently foolish tariffs implemented against U.S. allies, which hurt American farmers and others forcing some industries, like Harley-Davidson to move their operations overseas and his evident kissing up to Russia's President Vladimir Putin, praising the US's number one enemy in Helsinki, Finland, each earlier in this summer, as of August 14, 2018, does nothing to mitigate that probability. Then came the 6th of January 2021, 
when rather than concede defeat to President-elect Joe Biden, Trump inspired a virtual coup d'etat, in which many of his supporters and followers stormed the Capitol building, breached its security, occasioned the death of several individuals, including one Capitol police officer, ostensibly in hopes of writing a supposedly rigged election, as well as intent upon killing Democratic Senator Pelosi and their own GOP VP Mike Pence, on account of which he lost. Adding perhaps what he would describe as insult to injury, an article surfaced yesterday, June 23, 2021, revealing apparent family strains, as former first daughter Ivanka and her Jew husband Jared are finding it difficult to shield themselves from damages incurred from their association with and participation in his administration, and, today, June 24, 2021, interestingly, New York State revoked the law license of Trump's chief lawyer, and former NY City Mayor, Rudy Giuliani on grounds that he lied to the courts, etc., regarding Trump's claims of a rigged election. All of this drama only served to add fuel to the fires that justify the world's concern over the kinds of individuals U.S. citizens are prone to entrust with the nuclear codes of the most powerful nation on Earth. Having seen what they saw throughout the Trump years up to January 6, they have to be wondering, if such people will physically attack their own country, what won't they do to get what they want on the international stage? When the chips are stacked against them, so that normal channels of acquisition are closed. And, as we shall see, there are many reasons why they should have justifiable concerns particularly in light of what they themselves would likely have done, led by the likes of a Putin, Hitler, Napoleon, King of England, etc. So, while the current administration of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris appears to be doing a credible job of allaying some of the fears excited by the former president, it is highly unlikely the new POTUS will ever be able to undo all the damage done relative to international relations this due in large part to the will and foreplanning of Almighty God. His determination is such that they will never be allowed off the hook. The Known World Island Girl, What You Wanting, With the White Man's World Island Girl, Black Boy Want You in His Island World These lyrics form the verse of a tune penned by British crooner Elton John, with the help of a friend and co-writer. It was popularized in the 70s, following publication in 1975. One thinks it's safe to say that some sense of history would have made the song much easier to digest and to appreciate at least on a purely intellectual plane. History, however, was not only not a popular subject in the Little Mississippi farming community, such as it was, or other such communities throughout the South where many blacks grew up during the 50s, 60s and 70s, it was all too often a topic, if not the topic, that was never, ever discussed, or, emphasized in our neighborhood. History as taught in the Southern black school systems was rooted in textbooks penned by bigoted white historians, who were inspired and influenced by the likes of white Southern daughters of the Confederacy and the white Southern sons of Confederate soldiers. Thus, the history that those books presented was intentionally tainted and short-changed revised, or, revisionist so as to leave Southern black people largely ignorant of the facts of the history of the South, of the country as a whole, and, of the world at large. That is, they were intentional, lies, by omission, and, so it remains, to this day throughout the South and the rest of the country as well. With more and more of the heinousness of white America's past coming to light, 
even hellish white Christians led by the likes of Hillsborough College and MS-based American Family Radio are more determined than ever to keep alive, untainted by truth. Their romanticized, revisionist visions, variations and versions of their entry into the Americas. Thus, during those formative years, having no knowledge of history or the world at large, per se, Island Girl was a song that left the uninformed scratching their heads, where one bothered to reflect at all on the tune's meaning or relevance. Whatever its charm on the other hand. White man's world. What's that? How was his world different from anyone else's? While appealing musically and generally fun to listen to, perhaps, the song made little sense to the ears and mind of those less attuned to the facts of history. Today, one's knowledge yet being far from complete or perfect, clearly John's lyrics paint a poetic portrait of a young black woman beautiful, hot, perhaps, in the sense of being sexually appealing, albeit, dangerous Jamaican by nationality, being pimped by the Jamaican underworld while she blissfully spurns the wooing of her, concerned, male countrymen, in favor of turning tricks, catering as a prostitute in a world dominated by, the affluent. Among unsuspecting white male, Johns. Where the Bible is concerned, the, known world, has always and does to this day revolve around the land of Israel, known variously as the Promised Land, the Land of Milk and Honey, and, the Levant the French name for the area containing Israel, Syria, Jordan, etc. For most of the approximately 1,800 years or so following the sacking by Rome and the ensuing diaspora, preceding the French designation, however, Israel was known as Palestine, it was so renamed by the flustered and frustrated Romans, in their vain attempt to expunge, their, world of even the slightest remembrance of the troublesome Jews they had grown to disdain, with a passion. That being so, the known world, as it relates to and revolves around Israel has been dominated throughout the centuries by various competing forces since the ultimatum issued by Moses to Pharaoh, let my people go. This, in full accord with the plan and will of God, God rules, in the affairs, of men. The Almighty enjoined, as he guided Daniel in the schooling and the excoriation of the arrogant, but, great king, Nebuchadnezzar. Per the biblical record, most notable of those forces in ancient times have been the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Medes and Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans. In more recent times, those forces have included the Portuguese and the Spaniards, with the most powerful and the most far-reaching being the kingdom on which the sun never sat, i.e., the now failed and defunct British Empire, that empire itself might eventually have been rivaled and surpassed by Hitler's Holy Roman Nazi Empire, had that initiative with its blitzkriegs not been squashed and dashed to pieces during the final days of World War II. In addition, it might be argued that, beginning with the Greeks under Alexander, the known world has been dominated primarily by people of a white, Euro-Scandinavian complexion punctuated briefly by a darker-skinned Spanish people from Southern Europe, and or Islamic drives from the East, including the Seljuk Muslims, the Islamic Caliphate, and the Ottoman Turks. For centuries now, these predominantly white European peoples have been dominant players in the shaping and in the management of global affairs. In one way or the other, they to this very hour control to their primary benefit, practically all the world's natural resources, regardless of where those resources are found, on all seven continents all of which feed their raw materials into commercial enterprises and industrial complexes for which they alone are responsible.
at least partly in keeping with the Henry Kissinger doctrine spelled out during the presidency of Jimmy Carter, all of Black Africa's vast mineral deposits, valuable treasures of nature and other natural resources are systematically plundered and being under the complete control of these white Europeans and Americans' powers, shoveled into their pockets and coffers. In terms of white-skinned nations, we included the Chinese, as they also vie for not just a piece, but for dominance of Africa's pie. Per senior lecturer Howard Nicholas, a Frenchman speaking at the International Institute of Social Studies, and in keeping with Kissinger's advice to former President Carter, Africa must and will never be allowed to benefit, profit or prosper from its own natural resource, as doing so would lower living standards to which Western powers such as Europe and the U.S. have become accustomed. They are said to be heavily invested throughout all of the African continent, as of June 26, 2021. No nation ever benefits from its own resources to the same extent as do these white countries, including the Japanese and China, that comprise the white man's world not even those nations to which they turn in exploitation for cheap labor pools to facilitate implementation of their plunder. China has seen significant gains, since the collapse of the Soviet Union, thanks in part to a dumping of technology by the white man's world, constantly in search of those cheap labor pools. They themselves, the white nations, that is, have made absolute certain of that. Interestingly, they of the white man's world affirm of themselves that black Africa has been intentionally left out of his commercial and industrial equations even as a source of uncoerced, non-slave-related labor. That is, unlike Mexico, the Philippines, Singapore and China, Africa has not been allowed the benefits of education and economic development that would invite multinational, white, manufacturing companies to its shores on the same scale as have these third-world countries. Little if anything of everything that is marketed and sold in America is ever marked, made in Africa, in spite of manifest African potential. In addition, conspicuously throughout the days of colonialism and the antebellum years of slavery, and, in the 100 years of Jim Crow following emancipation, recruitment of people to settle, in terms of land allotments essential to the accumulation of wealth, access to power, and, to the portrayal of prestige and influence in a global environment, the New World of America focused primarily on white Europeans little or nothing was ever given to those of black African descent, whether the newly freed slaves or to Africans brought over as freemen. Chinese brought into this then-budding extension of the white man's world were employed in the dangerous, grueling work of building its railroad tunnels through mountain passages, on the promise that they would be assimilated into this world. In the end, they were often double-crossed and forced to live, in some cases, underground, out of sight of the object of their affections. Native Americans who survived an often traitorous slaughter, said to have numbered more than a hundred million, were relocated to lands considered at the time to be worthless. Although many Indian tribes are said to have been allowed to participate in the brutal enslavement of Africans, and in spite of efforts aimed at forcing them to assimilate, they have not embraced and they have not bought into this new world of white men, absent the employment of slave labor. Not surprisingly, therefore, the success of the white man's plunder has enabled him to build both the world's most powerful economies ever and, the strongest, most advanced, deadliest militaries humanity has ever known. Hence, the whole of modern human civilization, particularly with respect to the so-called, developed, world, and, the, developing, countries, hinges on the strength and the ingenuity of the, white man's world, 
with reference to those white races that came out of Europe. By all accounts and measures, his is truly a remarkable, globe-spanning civilization. Nebuchadnezzar would be so envious. As would Cyrus the Persian, Alexander the Greek and maybe even Genghis Khan. With this bit of history in mind then, it should not be too hard to reason that, should God return to the earth as detailed in the prophecies of the Holy Bible, specifically, Zechariah chapter 14, Matthew chapter 24, Luke chapter 21 and the book of the Revelation, it is the might of this coalition of white nations and peoples that would be his first encounter, and, yes. One might well argue that other non-white nations could rise to a level greater than that of the strongest white nations. However, with so much on the pages of history and current events that answers precisely to the demands of Bible prophecy, in terms of fulfillment at this hour truth be told, that is highly, highly unlikely. In addition, you may be assured that the white man's world is beyond determined and prepared to ensure that that never happens. To be sure, thanks to recent decidedly fruitful endeavors in the fields of astrophysics and cosmology, they of the white man's world all fully expect that someday, mankind will have to confront a powerful extraterrestrial visitor or beings. Hereby, these white nations do inadvertently affirm, without any official acknowledgement, that, the heavens do indeed declare the glory of God, albeit, not necessarily the hand of a supreme designer, since they still refuse to believe there is one but, if there is, to whom they have no intention of ever bowing the knee. That extraterrestrial, the supreme designer, or God, on the other hand, promises to spare no effort to get their undivided attention, Ezekiel chapters 36 to 39. The meeting, they figure, therefore, and, rightly so, will not be as much friendly, as it is more likely to be confrontational and combative. Moreover, of this we may rest assured, as Almighty God sits in the heavens, staring down, Psalm chapter 33 verses 12 to 15, 18 to 20, observing, studying and weighing the hearts and the actions of men witnessing their mountains of junk being created and buried daily on land, the dangerous and deadly island of garbage that plagues the Pacific, their destruction of the ecosystem through the overuse of herbicides, pesticides and the massive pollution of the air and of the waterways, it is these white Europeans who are the primary objects of his sore displeasure. See Revelation chapter 9 verses 20 to 21, 11 15 18. The book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ is an unveiling of some of the high points and or particulars of God's pre-planned and choreographed intrusion into the white man's world. That being the case, we might conclude, moreover, that the revelation is a detailing of God's plan to reduce the opulence and the affluence of the white man's world, his paradise and the only heaven he will ever know, to the ashes and the ash heaps of a literal hell on earth, a virtual gateway into an eternity in the flaming clutch of the lake of fire, preceded by a 1k year stint in hell itself. Revelation chapters 6, 8, 9, 13, 16, 19. The downfall of the cornerstone of this great white civilization will initiate that divine agenda, according to Revelation chapter 18. The cornerstone and the linchpin being the most prosperous nation of all time, incontestably, the United States of America is both the cornerstone and the pillar of a world dominated by the achievements and the advancements of arrogant, godless white men while at the same time if not. Therefore it is the pinnacle of his heaven on earth. In some sense, everybody wants to come to, 
and or invest in America her cleverly contrived and managed EB-5 investment scheme, aimed at the affluent, puts the foreign wealthy on a fast track to visa acquisition. For the well-to-do applicant, EB-5 is designed to extract large sums ostensibly to finance jobs in impoverished areas used to provide loans for U.S. contractors at rates lower than they can get from U.S. banks, saving them millions of dollars, making the rich richer. Her financial system is the linchpin that binds them all, the white man civilization, together. Being in that coveted, privileged position, her ports host thousands of ships daily that bring goods from countries that span the globe, before the collapse of Hanjin, early in the fall of 2016, that is. Without her, all is lost. With or without her, the world and all its global markets are long overdue for and will at some point in the not-too-distant future, for this reason suffer an unavoidable, catastrophic, commerce-killing, irreversible economic collapse. Rationally, one might normally be inclined to push that ignominious event somewhere into the distant future. However, as of May 17, 2017 then-President Trump's most reckless of his many gaffes in his first 100 days in office, could have been a game-changer. That is, his foolish discussion of classified intelligence information with two Russian officials just may have moved that day much closer than any observer would care to see it that, in addition to endangering the lives of foreign informants and undermining U.S. credibility in the eyes of critical sources of intel moving forward into the future. But no, wait. That was more than a year ago. During the summer of August 14, 2018, Trump even managed to Trump himself by implementation of tariffs on the U.S.'s key trading partners, and by his groveling at the feet of Russian Federation President Putin in Helsinki. Why? How can this be, you ask? Since the end of World War II, the U.S. has been the most dominant player in this white man-dominated, global economic system, with its resource-gobbling industrial complex. It might well be argued that, as the linchpin or tie that binds, Hers is an enviable position, to say the least, in a day no one among either Bible believers, or, critics and scoffers ever saw coming. Only a prophet of God could ever have envisioned her advent, and, to even them, she was a baffling concept, at best, scarcely imaginable, absent the mental prodding of Almighty God. Today, before the bankruptcy of giant international container shipping company, Hanjin, Merchants from all over the globe have bowed and into this very hour, still bow the knee in her American ports. The nearly 8,000 ships per day that they send into U.S. waters, bringing goods from far and near, dump approximately 40% of everything that the better part of 7 billion people produce at the feet of 5% of that number. In the millennium's old history of humanity, no people has ever prospered to the degree as have these European groups, and among them, None has ever surpassed the apparent wealth and prosperity of those Europeans who form the dominant people group in the United States of America, i.e., the so-called ruling class, although the EU has tried and failed. That may yet be about to change. This status, however, was obtained in the old-fashioned way. Develop a superior weapon and fighting strategy, and take what you need or want by force. Thus, following Friedrich Nietzsche's lead he having declared, God is dead, in 1882 these white Europeans have established for themselves a veritable paradise on earth, with themselves as de facto, gods, of all mankind. Their linchpin, however problematic, envied by all, is yet coveted by all. 
In their minds, balanced on a holier-than-thou mentality, no people of a darker complexion is either as intelligent or as capable as they, nor are they even remotely as deserving as they of the world's bounty. So pervasive and far-reaching was this notion throughout the white man's world, that not only did these gods of earth seek to keep black Africans in perpetual enslavement well out of the white man's mainstream, they did so by mentally envisioning him as being less than human. Toward that end, Belgium and Germany are known for importing Africans for display in their petting zoos, while Australians could shoot and kill any man of a black complexion as easily and as readily as he could a monkey, and suffer no repercussions. The Casual Killing Act of 1669 gave U.S. whites the right to punish any black slave to the point of death, with impunity. In the West Indies, whether or not this actually happened is a matter of some debate. Either way, it works well as an allegorical presentation of the white man's deepest intentions for the black African slave. Led by the likes of Willie Lynch white men, perfected, a system by means of which, in their diabolical minds, they could and would literally reduce the black man to the level of an animal, by reverse engineering what they knew to be the God-ordained male-female relationship. I.e., intentionally and deliberately desensitizing and destroying the African psyche. In so many words, while they often did so professing to be Christians and servants of God, white American men were and remain to this day enemies of God and of Christ and everything that they represent. By adoption and embrace of these types of dehumanizing ideological assumptions, white society including its white churches and professing Christians, effectively told the God they professed to serve to get into a corner, bottle yourself up like a genie, come out only on my command to bless me only, and don't even think about controlling my life. By invitation from American slaveholders, that lynch system was brought to the U.S. in the early 1700-1712. In some form, to a large degree, it remains a passion and a persuasion among American white supremacists of all stripes to this very hour. Thus, the black man throughout the roughly 400 years since he was first brought to U.S. shores has been afforded only the most limited access to that which serves as the linchpin throughout the rest of the white man's civilization. In addition, this linchpin, a nation which professed itself to be Christian, set itself in diametrical opposition to the will of God, making positively no effort to evangelize the lost among black Africans. When the white South finally was convinced that a change of heart might be in their best interests, economically, if not socially, they sought to convert the black man only after serving Almighty God a slap in the face, to assert their will above his. This they did on the one hand by redacting somewhere on the order of 50% of the Bible i.e., they knowingly and intentionally cut out all passages of scripture they knew would interfere with and or condemn their agendas, their hellish practices and their determination to hold people of a black complexion in that diabolical, involuntary servitude. That is, they understood all too well that the Bible did not in any way support the dehumanization by which they justified the enslavement of any people, regardless of skin pigmentation or national origin. In so doing, the United States of America set the stage for the birthing of a strand of Christianity that has consigned multitudes to the pits of hell, black as well as white, Native Americans, Mexican, etc., etc., even as, on the other hand, it effectively shut the doors of heaven in the faces of multitudes more, who knowing all, refuse to even consider faith in Christ to this day. I sit a queen.
A virtual empire. The United States of America is a collection of 50 self-governing individual states, comprised of better than 300 million people, or roughly 5% of the total number of the people on the entire planet, joined at the hip by a federal governing body of representatives from each of those states. Whereas prior to the Second World War, she tried to insulate herself from global affairs and international conflict, her head was plucked from the sands of her brand of isolationism whereupon, she was plunged into World War II. From that hellish battlefield, she emerged victorious, going on, to become the most powerful nation of all time, having the most powerful military the world has ever seen. She is said to boast and house 900 military installations, in some 150 countries. If this does not represent a virtual empire, absent the beaten path, there too and the usual trappings, pray tell, what does? In so many words, the USA reaps many of the same benefits of bygone empires, taking part virtually freely of all that the world has to offer, without the headache of outright battles and overt conquests waged solely for that purpose, even though she has been able to position her powerful military widely, ostensibly for her protection. And yet, even without waging wars of conquest for the sake of conquest, war, and, the threat of war, is philosophically a critical ideological piece in her arsenal of weapons for solidifying and maintaining a strong and dominate global presence. That being so, the economic ramifications of such a policy are as lucrative as they are staggering insofar as, ideology and philosophy reduces to mere worthless rhetoric, where there is no solid foundation of, hardware, to prop and back it up. Thus, she is truly a power player and queen among the nations. Consider, having quite distinguished herself as the darling and champion of the white man's civilization, in the summer of 2006, one from the ranks of her most prominent military spokespersons, along with media personnel stood before the public making apparently random statements that were, if not causes for alarm, certainly unsettling enough to be causes for concern. As Americans clamored before the federal government to have U.S. troops brought home from Iraq and Afghanistan, a certain pundit declared, most emphatically, war, is good for the economy. Read as, code, for what Americans might rationally expect in response to that request going forward, one might interpret that pundit's remark to mean, yeah, right, you want them home? We'll bring them home, but, they're going back again. In so many words, the expression voiced by this military expert serves a twofold purpose. One, it informs Americans that the Queen and her economy cannot thrive without a war going on somewhere in the world. Thus, while no effort will be spared to maintain peace and tranquility here, while keeping international fighting off her shores, since war is indeed good for the economy, there will therefore always be war somewhere, with U.S. involvement and a commitment of American troops, meaning, with boots on the ground. 2. This being the case, that comment might easily be construed furthermore as a form of saber-rattling, alerting all foreign powers friend and foe of the Queen's intent to remain perpetually, actively engaged militarily in some theater, on some front, somewhere well beyond the reach of her own borders. Some among the discerning might dare to see in all of this a kind of twisted sister, logic or wisdom. That is, since there is always going to be war somewhere, for whatever the reason, good or bad, might as well stir the pot on occasion, channel it to your advantage, to every degree possible, and, away from your shores. Worthy of note, at present, 
nothing appears to afford greater allure in fulfillment of that ominous objective than the hotbed of never-ending unrest and Islamic instability that is today's Middle East, all buoyed on the hostile shoulders of an Islamic imperialism, hell-bent on reproducing itself globally, thanks in part to its wealth of relatively easily accessible crude oil reserves those crude deposits being vital to the survival of the Queen's allies and or key trading partners, i.e., the white European and Asian components of the Whiteman's world, until the very recent improvement in the extraction of shale oil and gas in the U.S. 56% of America's need was met by Canadian oil sands, 40% by the Nigerians, and only 4% from American soil none from the Middle East. At this time, while the U.S. had been out of the export business altogether, she is once again an exporter of both oil and gas, much to the chagrin of the world of Arabic OPEC exporters. Thus, thanks also to her growing dependence upon renewable energy sources such as wind and solar like the arrogant, prideful queen of John's Revelation chapter 18, she gloats of her independence from, or, lack of any need to rely upon energy imports, from any other nation. In so many words, this arrogant queen of nations is currently ego-tripping, in the face of God, in virtual defiance of him, thanks to her military might and to her economic might, buoyed by her energy independence. I sit a queen, she says, I need no one. As will be shown, however, blessed, although she is indeed, strutting the world stage like Nebuchadnezzar, this energy independence might do anything, but, it will never free her from the, specter, of doom, that bears her name. In addition to the notion that, war is good for business, being cocky and perhaps, Overconfident this queen harbors a haughty estimation of herself that says she is impervious to defeat. We can beat anybody on the battlefield, boasted one of the military's top generals, in summer of 2006. Anybody with half a brain knows that a ranking government official does not publicly make so bold and so brazen a declaration that will most assuredly be heard and subjected to scrutiny, as in, psychoanalyzed, around the world unless he feels there is or there might be imminent need, defensively, to make good on that threat, or, there is every, intent, to make good, offensively, on that threat, should the need arise, or, the desire present itself. Of necessity, then, we might infer furthermore, that this official wanted to be heard by all, allies and non-allies. So then, the question becomes, why? If she sits like, a queen, having no, apparent, need, why would a supposedly peaceful, self-sufficient, self-satisfied, self-indulgent, secure nation feel a need to resort to such language? What need is there to fear hostile aggression from abroad? Why might she need to go on the offensive, and, do the nations have indeed a reason to fear that she will come gunning for them? What clues might the 2016 presidential race and then-candidate Trump's racist, white supremacist supporters hold, in answer to these concerns? as they chanted disturbing rhetoric such as, Hail Trump. We'll die for Trump, etc., etc., language without question calculated to be loaded expressions that work in concert with the self-labeling, neo-Nazi, so as to trigger recollections of Hitler and his Nazis? As of this day, June 18, 21, the Trump era having been capped by the 1st of June 21 capital insurrection, as we look forward to 11 24ths, knowing that Trump or another GOP-backed, Trump-like figure might stand a good chance of ascending to the Oval Office, again, what message is that possibility sending to foreign powers? What are they thinking? 
How are they likely to prepare and or react realizing that all-out war is out of the question, is a preemptive first strike eminent, that being the only viable alternative? And that brings us to the end of this edition of the Bible Prophecy Masterclass. Tune in again next time for episode number 8 of this podcast, as we pick up where we leave off here, discussing the white man's world, gods of earth. Until we meet again, may the God of heaven bless you.